0: Fuck it up, Craig. You'd
1: think... Because you only do it once a month. I know, but you'd think a year into this shit, I wouldn't still mess it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, hey, I'm Bug, and I'm
1: Small. And I'm Craig, and I'm Tall.
0: Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that... Aren't good enough for permanent good, but you know what? We don't need it I to mean, be good enough on. for them. We don't need it to be good enough for good. We need it to be good enough for us.
1: We're bringing a really weird energy to this intro today because we've never said that what we're doing isn't good enough for permanent hey, good. I'm starting a turf war. Uh, um, these are both my children. Do not make me choose between them.
0: You're just Cyrus. You gotta choose. This is a turf war. You know who you'd choose.
1: Oh, okay. You, you know who dude, you'd dude, choose. I watched this movie two days ago, and I uh, it took me... A few more seconds than I'm proud of to recognize <laughs> that you were referencing a movie we watched for this podcast, and I don't think you know which one I'd choose. You know what? If I'm being honest, gun to my head, you're forcing me to choose between permanent good and small and tall. I'm probably just gonna ditch both of them and start my own thing. <laughs> so none of you are on. No, e-
0: none of you are on. It solid wouldn't, be, it wouldn't even be. It wouldn't even be podcast. It wouldn't even be podcast.
1: It would be me or him. Oh, I mean, well, yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Point made. Okay. Well, now that we're (laughs) done fighting, um, I'm going to talk about the movies where we watched. So the theme for this month is we're watching our parents' favorite movies right and we are starting with bugs parents first so we are watching small nope we're watching (laughs) the breakfast club and warriors and uh we're doing and then for my parents which will be the second half of the episode we're going to be watching dirty dancing and casino royale uh spoilers ahead for all of them if you haven't seen these movies that's fine I just know that we're going to talk about them in depth. And if you haven't seen that, like, we've given you so much warning at this point. Like, I don't even know how to help you.
0: Angie is a woman after my heart with her favorite movie. And so is my own mother. So this is a fun month for me.
1: Yeah, I've known that Dirty Dancing was my mom's favorite movie since I was like six or seven. And even after being like a movie guy, still haven't gotten around to watching it. Maybe that (gasps) makes me a bad son. But... We're going to discuss that later in the episode.
0: (laughs) I just don't know how you haven't watched it being a theater kid. Like, it's like, it's a staple with just you know the dance the move everything Patrick Swayze
1: oh I've done the move before I've done the move more than I've seen scenes from that movie when I was a freshman in college my roommate and I used to do the move every like any time we had like a lock-in or a party or something like that we would put on the just dance yeah it was our party trick is we would do the dirty dancing move and every time we did it I'm like I should probably watch this movie and i never did (laughs) well that's about
0: to change anyway yes heidi's favorite movie the
1: breakfast club yeah breakfast club i have seen this one i think this is my third time watching it And I've and like you see bits and pieces of this. This is the Breakfast Club is one of those movies where even if you haven't seen it, you've seen it. Like there are clips from this movie that are they float around the Internet with no context. Like specifically like the dance scene, I think floats around a lot. Iconic. Iconic. And the the conversation scene where they all get high together. I also I icon- I feel like I was shown that scene in class.
0: Well, we watched The Breakfast Club in psych in high school. Like that was a thing.
1: Okay, we did. Okay.
0: Yeah, that was like finals week in psychology.
1: I well, maybe for you. We had the same psychology teacher, but we had him in different points throughout the day, and he liked your class more than he liked <laughs> my class. And let's be clear, I was <laughs> I was actually, I had him at two separate points throughout the day for psychology. And both of those classes were not treated as well as your class was. And I am quite frankly still bitter about that because there was someone in your class that did not deserve to have the high psychology class treatment that I feel like I would have appreciated a lot more. And so, yeah, both of the psychology classes that I was in, I don't remember watching Breakfast Club. I remember watching, I think, A Beautiful Mind.
0: Yeah, we watched that as well. That was Psych 1, and I think A Breakfast Club was Psych 2.
1: Okay. I don't remember Psych 2 as well. Um, but that's not the point. That's not, We have derailed so hard. Sorry. The, the fact of the matter is Breakfast Club is iconic, right?
0: Iconic. Everybody. It's because this movie is... It brings the most stereotype stereotypes and puts them into human form and makes a movie about it. That's what yeah. it is. So everybody who's been to high school should know this movie and if you don't, you're probably not white. But that's that's a different conversation. (laughs) Okay, and
1: if you didn't, just so we're all on the same page, let's let's break down The Breakfast Club a little bit. So it takes place on uh, a Saturday afternoon during the school year, and it's these five people that are in detention together, and the movie is The Session of Detention. But what makes this movie work the glue for this movie is like bug said every character represents a stereotype there's the jock the princess the nerd the outcast and the delinquent and they all are forced to spend 8 hours together and coexist and that's the movie is them having conflict and figuring out why and where their social relationships play into all of this conflict.
0: This was just choir class every day.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and the and in theory everybody should find themselves in one of these characters. And I think revisiting this movie several times especially in several points throughout one's life um it's not unlikely to relate to different characters when you uh go back to it
0: absolutely
1: so when I watched this movie for the first time, I was like, uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character, whose name is Brian, I think? Yes. Um, you know, nerd, brain, you know, people asked him to do homework for them. Like, that was like, that was kind of the character I recognized first when I watched it in high school. Revisiting it now, Ali Sheedy's character steals the show. She is, her character is like... So underappreciated. Underappreciated, for sure. And like, I I don't want to hundred percent relate to her, but there are moments where, especially, you know, uh, conversations where she has a lot of dialogue. Like I, I understand so much of what she is saying, like oversharing, exaggerating truths, making stuff up that isn't true, overstepping boundaries. Like I've, I have been all of those things at certain points because I get carried away in a conversation because I'm like, there are moments especially with Ali Sheedy's character where she starts to feel comfortable with these people and that's when she starts to overshare and as soon as she overshares they start to look at her weird again and then she retreats again and that instance is something that I have experienced dozens of times so that's the character that I see myself in. it's like I'm I'm not as socially outcast as her but in social situations like I mostly mirror her. In high school, I was
0: often compared to Allison, which is Ally Sheedy's character, like, because I dressed like her, you know, I was quiet like her, and, you know, I always wanted to be Claire, which is Molly Ringwald's character, but I was never the princess, and in my personal mind, I am the princess, but not in, you know, the stereotypical popular girl way. I'm still hardcore relating to Allison this far in my life, but I, you know it's possible to see yourself a little bit in all of the characters and that's because they are literally just supposed to like in the beginning at least it starts out with them being like full on as stereotypical as they possibly can be but then as the movie goes on it shows oh yeah we're all these stereotypes but we still all deal with the same stuff just in different ways.
1: Yes, and, okay, here's where I'm going to start drawing some lines in the sand, okay? I understand that this was the purpose of his character. If this character did not exist, the movie would literally have nowhere to go. However, Bender drove me up a wall. I... I hated almost every time he interacted with a character. Like so much of him felt edgy for edgy's sake. And every time he pushed Claire's boundaries, it felt uncomfortable and not in a good way. Like there were there were times where where Bender would push Claire's boundaries and I'm like he's doing this because Claire does need to open up. Claire does need to let loose. And Bender being aggressive like this is chipping away at that a little bit. But then there were other times where he oversteps way too far. And most of those times, um, Amelia Estevez's character, Andy, or something like that, like Andy, will stop him. But and every time Andy does that, is always about like a minute too late. Okay, and but here's just, the thing. It was frustrating.
0: Here's the thing, though, is I can name literally at least five guys from our high school class right off the top of my head who would pull that same stuff on a daily basis to girls around and me myself. So it's literally like, you know, he's supposed to be the edgy bad boy who's you know, fitting into the trope of breaking down the princess, which means pushing her boundaries in uncomfortable ways. And he's, you know, it's, as it's explained, he is obviously going through his own stuff. And so he acts out because of that. And she ends up being the target in this moment because he sees her as, you know, easy prey, which isn't an excuse at any point, but it's just like the definition of the bad boy versus the princess trope that so many people love nowadays.
1: And I'm not dis- Listen, I'm not saying it's not realistic, right? Everyone knows a Bender, you know, the kind of person where he's in detention so much. Why even bother sending him anymore? Like, clearly the message isn't working. Everybody knows a person like that. It's not always fun to watch. Is the point yeah. I'm getting at? Like, sure, it's realistic, but his, so, there were points where his character made me uncomfortable. Not, not uncomfortable. Just irritated. Cause if I'm uncomfortable, then like maybe that's the point the movie is trying to say. There were just like I wanted to deck him. I, I feel like an that adult was part of the character like, as well. Yeah, it was like like this character deserves to get hit once.
0: And I think that was kind of what they were trying to portray. That he needed like he was being too much of a jackass and needed to be knocked down a few pegs.
1: And I think maybe the reason I'm bouncing off his character so hard. Is at the end of the day, he's the protagonist of this movie. He's he is the iconic character that everybody walked away remembering. And I I don't like, I disagree with that sentiment. Like, he is the most unique. He is he in terms of uh portrayal, like Judd Nelson, like amazing, fantastic. Like he deserves all the accolades he gets in terms of performing this character. But a lot of people see Bender as kind of this iconic role model. And I'm like, hey guy, I think you missed the point of the movie.
0: Yeah. And so it
1: was like that that's kind of where I stand on the whole thing, is like I did not love watching his character interact with all the other characters most of the time.
0: I feel like he got more tolerable as the movie went on. And and as you know, they all broke down their barriers because obviously in the beginning, they're going to make him be his most extreme guarded self because his attitude is his defense mechanism. So by the end of it, he was a lot more tolerable than he is when it first begins and you're like, dude, will you just shut? up and stop causing problems to cause problems
1: and the character does have some redeeming moments like when he distracts the the teacher to one of my favorite bits yeah to let the other kids get back to the library without being caught like that is a redeeming character moment um but i think overall yeah i just it's whatever he had good moments but that's all i want to say about him now i want to talk about the other atrocity in this movie like i said big fan of uh ally sheedy and her character specifically, biggest downgrade in cinematic history, right? Like I don't even need to say it. Like her, tra- like her makeup scene. Like why? No, wrong, incorrect.
0: Yeah, it was you know it was just one of those let's see what it's like to be the popular girl moments, but you know,
1: eh. and, and and I think that it's a very good reflection of what was popular in the eighties versus what's popular now. In the eighties, you know that alt goth chic style was was the so it it was the textbook showcase of the social outcast and so ali sheedy has this like um transformation scene where she tries on i think some of claire's clothes some of her makeup and she's you know in this like very uh pretty sundress she's wearing you know a a headband her hair is tamed and she walks out after changing and and emilio estevez's character like has this like whoa now you're pretty and you know they kiss at the end of the movie and i'm like this that those two specifically actually both of them both of the kisses at the end of this movie felt kind of inauthentic
0: well uh, i think so going back to the ali sheedy emilio estevez whole thing when she's getting her makeup done by Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald's character is like, you look so much better without all that black stuff around your eyes. And Ally Shiji's character is like, uh, I like that stuff just because I'm, and she, it's kind of like a, just because I'm trying this out doesn't mean I'm not going to immediately keep dressing like that. And there's tension between Allison and Andy for a lot of parts of the movie. And so I feel like it wasn't necessarily him being like, oh my God, you look like a princess now. But it was like, holy shit, I can see your whole face, and you're even prettier than I thought you were. But also, like, come on, like her as she is. But yeah, I can agree that the kisses kind of felt rushed, especially because, you know, they have that whole conversation about how, you know, yeah, we're friends in this moment, and we're going to continue to live it up in this moment and have a good time now but come monday it's gonna be like this never happened and so i feel like it was a well yolo type of deal for both of them but also during the kiss between allison and andy you just see allison's little brother staring at them through the car window and i'm like that (laughs) is so uncomfortable (laughs)
1: yeah definitely uh and i i think about that conversation where she gets back in the car or even with when andy gets back in the car and you see him kind of like lock eyes with his dad and the dad's just kind of like what 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 just happened what What did you do what
0: was that (laughs) like oh you go to detention and you leave with a girlfriend how does that happen
1: that's how you know this movie's fiction
0: yeah Um, also, while we're speaking about that transformation, okay, so there, when they smoke, right, they have this big smoke sesh because they leave the library to go get Bender's weed from his locker, and then Bender distracts Vernon while they're getting back, and then they finally get everybody, after a whole bunch more stuff comes, they go have their smoke sesh, and then they're going through each other's bags. And during that scene, Bender is using the makeup brush to brush his teeth from Claire's back, and then during the makeup scene, you see Claire using that same brush on Allison's eyebrows.
1: And that's how you get pink eye, folks. (laughs) Yeah, what we didn't see is, you know, 12 hours later, when, you know, Allison can't open her eyes. (laughs) And no one knows how that happened. And, you know, uh, they go to school on Monday and Claire's talking about it. Like, yeah, Allison called me. She said that she can't come in. Like, she's got pink eye. Bender and Bender's eyes start, like, darting back and forth because he's <laughs> known the whole time. He w- he looked over the library while they were doing it and he looked across the room. He saw Claire paint, you know, brushing <laughs> Allison's eyebrows. And he's like, he was kind of, like, tapping his fingers together. Like, uh, I should probably say... Something, but they've already started. The damage is done. This can't be undone. There's no going back on this.
0: Nah, he was back in the closet by then, so he couldn't stop it because, you know, yeah. the principal decided to put him. Okay, I hate. Hey, is he even the principal or is he just a teacher? I don't remember, but he Vernon, says
1: he, he says he's been. He says. I've been teaching for 23 years or something like that. I feel like he would have mentioned being a principal. Yeah,
0: so not the principal, but Mr. Vernon is just a total jackass. Totally reminds me of Mr. (sighs) But we're not going to include that. (laughs) But he's just this total. And like it shows that sometimes the teachers are our biggest bullies. And that's messed up. But I know so many people that I've met throughout all of my life who have a specific teacher that they're like, yeah, that teacher was one of my biggest bullies growing up. And honestly, if you're going to be bullying the kids and belittling the kids, you don't deserve to teach them. Like, you are setting them up for failure. You're already calling them a failure, but it's you who is setting them up for failure.
1: Yeah, like, in almost every instance... In this movie, Mr. Vernon is right. Like almost every time that Mr. Vernon calls out Bender, like Bender is in the wrong, but he does it with such little grace and tactfulness that Bender's only response is to give him attitude. So, like, it's definitely one of those instances where if you are not going to handle discipline with the same amount of respect that you expect the kids to give you, then of course they're going to throw it back in your face. And when you have to give Bender nine detentions to show your power, then clearly you're not doing it right. Who
0: was your personal Vernon?
1: I don't know. I feel like I was enough of, like...
0: There wasn't one uh, single teacher who made you cry.
1: Oh, who made me cry? Like, my eighth grade math teacher did that. Okay. Um. Yeah, but I don't know if I ever had a teacher that was, like... I look back on, I'm like, oh, they're the reason I'm this way. Uh,
0: I mean, I, I don't think it's, like, I'm they're the reason I'm this way, but, like like, people who are just... Assholes.
1: Yeah, and like th- there are a lot of teachers that I just like straight up didn't get along with. But oh, you know what? Ooh, I remember now. It was my French teacher. Ooh, <gasps> my French teacher yes. and I we butted heads a lot. I remember, especially especially my senior year because Ooh. I was. I was only doing it to fulfill a credit. Yep. And and I and here's the thing. Let, let, we're gonna pivot away from the movie for a second. When you are in a class, if you let's say this if you were teaching a class that you understood 50% of your students are there to fulfill a credit, like, do you give them any leeway in that, or do you still try to like have them buck up and take it quote unquote seriously?
0: I mean, I had who knew that most of us in that classroom were just there to fulfill our language credit It was a Latin class and we were just there to fulfill our language credit. But and I did awful in that class because I didn't want to put the effort into it that I that needed to be put into it. Right. Like I had a certain amount of effort that I was willing to put into it and it was nowhere near the effort that needed to be put into Latin. But I was still one of his favorite in the class. So I guess it just depends on how much you want your head up your ass as a teacher.
1: Yeah. So. But also uh,
0: like. Here's the thing about teaching high school alone or even parenting a teenager is it's gonna be hell because it's hell for your kid to go through puberty and you should know this because you've gone through puberty so no you're not always gonna get along with these kids because it's puberty it's when we're figuring out who we want to be as people for the first time ever because we finally have enough knowledge to make those decisions and our instinct is to rebel against everything that we've known in order to redefine ourselves as unique and original at least a little bit
1: now, I do want to say, as far as said French class goes, I did deserve some of it. I don't want to throw my French teacher completely under the bus. Like, there would be times where I was straight up reading comic books in her class, and she was lecturing, and I was just reading my comic books. But you know what? I wasn't causing a disturbance. Yes. I was kind of mind- I was minding my own business. And that was me, but on Wattpad
0: <laughs> or with my <laughs> library books.
1: Uh, but I got B's in that class. It was all good. At the end oh, of the day. That was much better than what I got in Latin. Let's not talk about what I got in Latin. <laughs> um, So re- re- Revisiting Breakfast Club is, it's weird because I don't relate to the character's that I feel like were written for people to relate to. And I feel like I did not get as much out of this movie watching it now at 24. I'm not 24 yet, I'm still 23. Watching it now at 23. um, I I did not find this movie very relatable anymore. Um, I think...
0: No, I think as we age, it's not necessarily supposed to be relatable, but it's supposed to just... I don't know, I guess I just find it as entertainment more than something to relate to but I also watched it so much in high school when I was you know relating to the quote-unquote the basket case but you know and like it was like it was a good comfort then and also like I mentioned before they had that conversation with them being like oh yeah come Monday it's gonna be like this never happened. I had that happen a lot where I would like go hang out with people and then come Monday, they would act like they didn't know me at all. And- yeah,
1: and I think that's the single takeaway. It's the most iconic part of the movie for a reason. Because... I think everybody experiences something like that, and the thing that I experience that most most with it, it is in theater. You know, you do a show with someone for yes. you know eight to twelve weeks, and theater is one of those things where you feel a familial bond with like m- most, if not all, of the cast. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you only become friends. With like two or three of them. So when the show's over and you're back in class, you know, you might recognize a few people, but at the end of the day, there's, you're not friends with everybody. But one of my favorite
0: parts of that scene is when Brian and Allison are talking and they're like, and Brian is like, would you do that to me? And Allison is like, no. And I wouldn't be friends with the type of people that would care. And I think that speaks volumes because they're like, so that obviously makes us better people than you because we wouldn't do that to you. And I feel like that was our friend group. Our friend group was the ones who would accept anybody, even if we def- like weren't necessarily like best buddies with the people in our group or like even if, you know, sometimes we didn't necessarily like them that much. If one person in our group liked them enough to bring them around we welcomed them. If we hung out with somebody, we would always say hi. Unless they showed first that they wanted to pretend like none of that happened.
1: We spent our whole senior year eating lunch with someone that no, like none of us got along with. A few people
0: that we all didn't get along with at different parts of the year. Like It just happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so this movie, I think, regardless of time period is kind of like the quintessential high school experience. And I think by your senior year, you have experienced, I'm going to lowball it, you've probably experienced, like, maybe 40% of everything they're talking about. Yeah. And like you said, after high school, it becomes less about relatability and more just kind of like a character study and a little bit of entertainment past that. um, So, yeah, m- me, I'm coming at it from a character interaction standpoint. And I spent a lot of this movie really wishing Bender would shut up. <laughs> so I think... I'm planting I think I'm planting my flag right now at like a six point seven five.
0: Bender I have a confession. Yeah, what's up? Bender was like so 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 okay, so
1: just say it. Just say no No don't hold on. No, 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 no context, no, no, just no, no, say it. No no, 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 no.
0: The first time I ever saw this movie, I was like six years old, right? Because it was my mom's favorite. So I was like six and it was on TV. So all the curse words were cut out and certain scenes weren't included because it was on TV. So it's fine. Don't get mad at Heidi for letting me watch this at like six years old. But Bender was like my first ever like bad boy crush.
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: And now I'm, you know, with someone who (laughs) very much so acted like Bender in high school. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, one plus one equals two.
0: Hello. No
1: work needs to be shown.
0: <laughs>
1: you didn't give a number.
0: Um, I'm getting there. Um, I think, so, you know, this movie, it's my mother's favorite, so it has a very special place in my heart, but also- you know, I watched it so much at a formative point in my life because I'm the one of this duo who will watch a movie about a hundred times and you're lucky if Craig's seen a movie more than once. So I'm... i feel Well,
1: I got thrown under the bus so hard. <laughs> but it's Yo. true. It's true. So you if can't you, even Hold say on. Anything. No, shut up. No, I'm defending myself. No, if you, I have to if... give my
0: rating. You don't have to defend yourself. Everybody on here knows. We've discussed this before. Anyway... I'm planning my flag at like a seven point five
1: for this one. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I th- that's a little lower than I was expecting. I well, was expecting this one to ride in like the eights for you. It's it's like okay. So it's it's like it's like on the high
0: end of a seven point five. But I don't really want to get into like nitty gritty decibels. But it's
1: okay. Okay. Um. And now we're gonna get into warriors. <laughs> This
0: one loses a lot of points because there are a lot of slurs that I don't remember being in this movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so Breakfast Club had some slurs too. But it was very much in the, it was displayed in a way where they knew it was demeaning.
0: Yes. Like. um, This movie was made in 78 released in 79 so it was a different time but also you had to have known guys you had to have known because you're using these terms in a derogative way so you have to know what you're doing and honestly guys it didn't drive the plot it didn't do anything Y'all were just putting the slurs in the script to put the slurs in the script.
1: Yeah, and so here's what I'm going to say. In Breakfast Club, the bullies were the ones saying it, right? Like In Breakfast Club, it was said in a way that high school bullies would talk to someone that they were bullying. In Warriors, it felt like a motivated attack.
0: It was like (laughs) stupid locker room talk in Warriors, almost. Like where they're like, yeah, (laughs) what are you? gay but you know using the slur
1: <laughs> yeah so listen i feel really bad talk i'm gonna dunk on this movie a lot and Look, i feel bad I. About
0: it but Look, okay okay like, okay let me let me let me let me this is you give s- us some context yeah. okay give so us some th- context so this is my stepfather's okay this isn't his like ultimate favorite movie he gave me three when i asked him he gave me die hard which we did for Christmas, so I wasn't like, going to choose that one. He gave me Band of Brothers, which is actually a movie series that's like eight hours long. Yeah, and it's an all HBO about-
1: miniseries.
0: Yeah. And I wasn't going to subject us to that. And then he gave me Warriors, which is a movie that, you know, we had watched a couple times together as I was growing up. And it's one that, like, a lot of the iconic lines in this movie were iconic lines in my household. Like, Warriors, come out to play. Or, can you dig it? Because, you know, this was, like, a huge movie in the late seventies, mid eighty to mid eighties for midwestern guys, because this movie is about the gangs of Chicago and them, you know, you're better at describing the plot, so take it from here. It's about gangs in Chicago.
1: Okay, so let's so let's talk about the plot itself. So the movie begins with almost this press conference from the gangs of Chicago and this guy Cyrus gets everybody together and he's giving this big podium speech where he's like we all have our turf and I respect that but at this point we outnumber the cops so if we band together we can overthrow the cops and make Chicago Truly ours. And all of these gangs are on board. Everyone is legitimately loving this plan. And then, while Cyrus is giving his speech, he gets shot.
0: Assassinated.
1: And, and, you know, circumstances continue, and they think, all the other gangs think, that the Warriors gang was the ones that assassinated Cyrus. So, the movie is the Warriors going from said aforementioned press conference back to their turf where they would be safe. And that's the movie, is them going through different gang areas until they can make it to their home turf.
0: Because since... The shooting happened and there's all this chaos now. The police are made aware of this meetup. And so they shut down the trains. And so the warriors are just trying to get to a train that is working so that they can get home. But in order to do this, they have to cross through all of these paths. And there's a love interest that doesn't make sense or really add anything to the story that tags along that we'll get into, I'm sure. But yeah, like Craig said, it's about them getting to this safe area, and it's very 70s. You can tell when they're doing voiceovers very clearly. It's pretty cringy, but for just like background 70s action movie... It's, it's, yeah,
1: you can also tell it's made in the '70s because three things happen in the entire movie. <laughs> Cyrus and, and 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 here's what happens in this order: Cyrus gets shot. They get intimidated by other gangs, and a female gang shoots at them. Those are the three things that happen in the movie.
0: This movie is if it's it's just the Michael Jackson bad music video in movie form
1: for ninety minutes.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what it is.
1: And. I think the thing that really made this movie not super impressive for me is none of the characters felt memorable. It was a bunch of you follow like six guys and all of them feel like they're competing for leadership of their gang. Mm -hmm. And so it's just machismo on machismo on machismo and it got not only irritating, but forgettable. It's like, okay, which dude is arguing with which dude now? Exactly. And, and, And so there are some interesting moments in this movie. So I think when they fight the baseball gang... The baseball gang fight is so cheesy and corny. It's the most interesting thing that happens in this movie because they're in kind of like this park setting, the warriors are. And then all of a sudden, from behind trees, almost like West Side Story style, these so uh, these gang members in baseball uniforms and painted faces emerge from around trees and start to threateningly, you know, play with the bat in their hand and intimidatingly walk towards the warriors and they get into this big almost sword fight with baseball yeah. bats and i'm like this is the this should have been the movie this should have been the whole
0: thing the baseball furies are absolutely my favorite part of this movie not only do they have the coolest costumes of any of the gangs. But also, the fight is the most interesting of this entire movie. Like you said, it's the Baseball furies' fight is more memorable than the ending of the film. But you opened up the door for me to talk about one of my favorite domino effects ever. I'm ready. So, it is a known theory that... By butterfly effect, domino effect, however you want to call it, 9-11 caused Fifty Shades to be written. Right? Fifty Shades of Grey.
1: And if you don't know it, look it up.
0: Here's how. No, I'm (laughs) going to... Or if you don't know Fifty Shades, yeah, look it up. But here's how I'm going (laughs) to explain. I'm going to explain this, okay? So... 9-11 happens. This makes...
1: If you didn't know. If you didn't know, (laughs) it did happen. If you forgot,
0: we're reminding you. 9-11 happens, which causes Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance to want to form the band My Chemical Romance. My Chemical Romance...
1: Hold on, hold on. We should, we should explain that, too. Uh,
0: no, okay, so, like, Gerard Waite just realized, oh, life is fleeting, so I'm going to follow my dreams and start this band with my brother that I want to start. So they start My Chemical Romance, okay?
1: And they then, weren't, like, inspired by a terrorist attack. Well,
0: no, 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 no. It was just like, oh, life is fleeting, whatever. But that was, like, the event that, like, made him realize that. So then, in a photo shoot, My Chemical Romance dresses up as the Baseball Furies from Warriors, The images of this shoot are released, which inspire Stephanie Meyer to write the baseball scene in Twilight to then... Which then creates Twilight as itself because she like has this dream where they're, you know, My Chemical Romance is vampires playing baseball dressed up as the baseball furies, which then leads her to writing Twilight, which then Fifty Shades of Grey starts out as Twilight fan fiction that then gets made into its own series. So, The Warriors is involved in the making of 50 Shades of Grey.
1: And um, thank you. Yeah. I don't know if I'm grateful or not. I mean, I'm a little <laughs> grateful because, you know, without Twilight, you know, our podcast might not have formed. Um, but Just wait for when
0: we do 50 Shades, guys. It's going to oh be an interesting God. one. It's going to be an interesting one and I'm not looking forward to it's it. Already but in it's in going to happen. It's, it's one of those things
1: happen. where we both understand it has to happen. Neither of us are thrilled about it. Listen, don't get me wrong; might be our best episode. I'm I'm calling my <laughs> shot right now. That Fifty Shades episode is probably going to be our best content episode ever. But the uh, dr- the, the trenches but watching we're them, have to. Mm, but having to we're watch in them? the trenches.
0: Yeah. So we keep pushing that one back.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, and the second thing about Warriors that was interesting is i thought the double cross of those girls romancing the warriors only to you know pull guns on them oh that was that so they good. Shot cyrus that was a cool reveal that was a cool reveal
0: that was that was a good one I liked that one I was like yes heck yeah or like the one where it's like a like she's I don't think she's a was she a cop or not but she like one of the warriors is like hitting on this woman and she's like nope we're not playing this tonight and she handcuffs him to a bench and then starts blowing a rape whistle until the cops come and arrest him oh, and I my, was like okay. ha, ha, you deserved that one sucker
1: and now you've opened the can of worms on my least favorite part of this movie. I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard audio mixing done worse than this movie. Yeah, it was like really bad. And so, like you said, she's blowing this whistle for too long, right? Oh, yeah. First, the the whistle, and again, this is the point of the whistle. So, like, I I'm only I can only knock it so much where it is intense, uncomfortable, and unsettling. Mm -hmm. And so if you blow it two or three times, I get the point of what you're trying to do. She blows on this whistle for it feels like 90 seconds. Yeah. And I'm watching this movie... Like at midnight, right? In my oh apartment God. where I have roommates. So, like, the so I'm like turning down the volume and she keeps going. And it became, like I said, it was just unsettling as a viewer to watch. And then the other part that I felt like was mixed awfully was, you know, that iconic, you know, warriors come out to play. Cause he's like,
0: clinking the bottles
1: together and it's like. The, The combination of him clinking the bottles and his naturally uh, screechy voice, again, two or three times, I would have gotten the point. Does it for 90 seconds. That that man is such a snake too. Where it it almost felt like they were padding time with the worst sounds they could make. So as a viewing experience, there are lots of lulls and straight up discomfort moments in this movie
0: definitely but i mean it does kind of speak on i i mean i can't say that it does in all honesty but it was interesting to see the gangs of chicago like them make a movie about how many gangs there are in Chicago because currently there are 70 to 75 gangs that are active in Chicago alone with over like a hundred thousand members in those altogether.
1: And I have the confidence to say that I know I can't speak on how well it portrays gang culture because yeah. I watched this movie and I could point out like half a dozen moments where I'm like, they're taking this too seriously. (laughs)
0: like Uh, there were some points where i was like they're not like this this isn't what it's like to be in a gang
1: (laughs) there's a point like a third of the way through the movie and again this is me not representing gang culture uh where i'm gonna say the plot almost could have resolved itself very quickly because one of the rival gangs was like no you can you can pass through our turf we'll let you do that if you take your colors off and i'm like and i am like cool thanks we got bigger fish to fry than me wearing my colors right now
0: (laughs) but it's like that pride thing the gang pride and the brothership pride where it's like no we're not taking our colors off we're walking through here proudly because we are who we are and it's like dude do do you want to make it alive to be able to stay in your gang or do you want to get shot before you can make it home? Just take the jacket off.
1: And and so that's one of those things where it's like I understand. That's part of the movie that I just that's don't relate to. That's part of to. the culture. I don't Maybe. fully understand it. Each to their to each their own.
0: So what well, you know there's really not much to say. It's it's a 70s action movie so
1: action is generous uh, yeah it's a 70s interaction movie
0: oh oh, well well, i guess i you know to each their own it's an experience to watch it would i recommend it to most people probably not would i recommend it to people who kind of remind me of my stepdad yeah but (laughs) (laughs) what would you
1: give this one i'm gonna say it's gonna be mean the rating i'm gonna give is mean and it's four and a half i think it's a four and no
0: i was gonna give it about a five maybe yeah yeah and that's just that five that last half above yours it's sentiment because it's my stepfather's <laughs> favorite movie but yeah it's it's about a 5 for me
1: yeah it's one of those movies where there's a lot of iconic moments i already watched my level so it should it, be good you, just, just let I me know when you are ready to clap is oh, into okay. movies, what was that oh, should ready. watch it okay. but if you're not into movies 3 2 you're fine don't worry so about now it. we're going to move yeah. on to so dirty now dancing that's over. which is my that's mom's favorite Angie's movie and and like i had mentioned earlier never seen this movie before and I'm going to be honest, I didn't have very high hopes going into it because it is an 80s chick flick. That's just the fact of the matter. Is it's an 80s chick flick and it shows through every way that this movie could possibly show it. That being said, this movie's kind of a banger.
0: This movie is a banger.
1: This movie is a banger. Um, so Dirty Dancing. All right, here's the deal. It takes place in the '60s, which whenever you watch an old movie that takes place in an even older time, it's a little. It takes a little bit to get adjusted to that, because I was try. I was already in the mindset for '80s, and then you throw me into the '60s, and it, I kind of have to pivot again. But that's not the movie's <laughs> fault. That's time's fault. But takes place in the '60s. Uh, this wealthy family goes on vacation to this resort for three weeks. I think they say, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's it has the same vibe as a cruise, but just on a resort. There are dance classes, golf courses. Um, it's just it's your typical preppy inland resort. It's
0: like and country club esque.
1: Exactly, yes. And the plot of this movie takes place in separate, like, there are separate parts to what one would consider the plot, but the fact of the matter is, um, one of the dancers has to step out of an obligation, and so our main character, who's, you know, affectionately referred to as Baby, she steps in to take her place during this performance, and A good chunk of the movie is basically this dance teacher played by Patrick Swayze teaching baby this pretty much never danced before person how to do a trained dance routine. And then the other part of the movie is kind of, yeah, in a week. And then the rest of the movie is kind of the consequences that follow said relationship because they grow close, they kiss, they fall in love, blah, 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 blah. And so the first half of the movie is, let me teach you this dance routine in a week. And the second half of the movie is, I like you. How do we do this? How do we make this work?
0: Pretty much. Yeah. But, you know, it's cuter than that.
1: (laughs) I'm just going to come out and say straight up, uh, this movie's soundtrack slaps.
0: That's literally what I was just about to say.
1: (laughs) I am going to say something kind of outrageous, but I mean it. Um, Top 10 soundtracks of all time? Honestly. Maybe? Yeah, this movie soundtrack is unironically so good, like added to my rotation on Spotify. Good. And um, uh had the time of our lives is kind of like the song that everybody walked away from this movie. Remembering that was kind of like the single from this movie and listening to and I've heard this song before. But listening to it in the context of this movie really elevates that song to another level. It it genuinely makes both the movie and the song itself so much better.
0: I think that on top of that, it's also... Like, all the song choices for the soundtrack, Slap, but also where they placed them throughout the movie was an art of its own.
1: Yeah, like... Straight up like James Gunn in Guardians of the Galaxy level surgical placement of song and time.
0: Exactly. And it's just the classics. They're classics. And I'm glad that you finally got to actually see this movie because I'm shocked that it's your mother's favorite and you hadn't seen it until (laughs) 23.
1: And so this movie does not shy away from the intimacy of dancing it's one of the main theses of this movie is when you dance with someone not only is there this like physical connection be it you know and that physical connection can take so many different forms it can be like on a professional level on a platonic level on a romantic or a sexual level like all of those options are on the table when it comes to dance but all those emotions are heightened your bond is stronger when you have a long-term dance partner um and also the emotional bond that goes with it uh, you know that's also one of the big highlights of this movie so <laughs> it was weird that my big takeaway was how did my grandmother let my mother watch this movie that's what once, i was wondering let alone several times because my grandmother is a grandmother and this movie features like i said intense physical intimacy both sexual and not and also one one of the major plot points of this movie is an illegal abortion
0: yeah that that's there that's a big Plot. And also good on this movie for being pro-choice in the 1960s,
1: yeah. and in- and incredibly delicate with how they hand with how they portray the situation. Oh, absolutely! Like all the characters that shame this character for getting an abortion are all the characters we're told not to like in this movie, and all the other characters are like, "Hey, it's okay, we got this." Don't worry about it. Do we got it. Do what
0: you got to do. We got this.
1: We get it. So um, so I was looking into the trivia for this movie, and apparently Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze had like, they were feuding for most of this movie and because they had already a strange relationship from a different movie they had done together. And let me tell you, couldn't tell. Nope. I could not tell. These two have interstellar chemistry together. It's kind of crazy. I don't know if I love Patrick Swayze's performance otherwise in this movie. Um, but I think he was the best choice for this purely for how sh- how he works with Jennifer Grey. Like I don't think he would have been able to do this movie by himself. Or, or or if it was another... If there was another actress, it could not have been Patrick Swayze either. It had to be specifically these two.
0: Here's, here's my thought. Is maybe they used that hatred for each other? Or that... Viewed to make it so that way they wouldn't be blushing me- messes while doing all of this. Because even being professional, I would have been blushing the entirety of filming.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like there is a sort of like internal human emotion that I can only regulate so much. Exactly. Like when I'm dan- like when you dance with someone, like romantic or or not. If you do it long enough, you're going to walk away and be like, I'm in love with this person. I may not want to date them. I may not want to marry them or anything, but I'm in love with this person. Is that why you're in love with me? I mean, (laughs) see, is this this what the podcast has turned into? Is me saying something normal and then you spinning it and me having to just kind of stop everything dead in its tracks and be like, yeah, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. As long as we're on the same page about it. Welcome. Uh, Welcome to the new small and tall. Uh, I guess I really, th- there are some problems with this movie. Like, there's a lot of artificial drama, which happens when your movie takes place in a single location. And the I think when I was watching this movie, I expected the movie to end with baby filling in at the performance. But that's only halfway through the movie. There's an entire second half to the movie. And the second half of the movie is this artificial, quote-unquote, drama. And there's some valid drama, like we mentioned, you know, um, intense medical problems that has to go on. But whenever Patrick Swayze's character whose name is Johnny like whenever Johnny starts to feud with like the boss's nephew or whatever that's when I'm kind of like all right what what are we doing right this doesn't feel like the same kind of movie
0: well because it switched because before you know Baby and Johnny weren't even friends in fact Johnny was like no baby doesn't need to be around any of this she's gotta go because she's part of the rich people and we're just quote-unquote the help or whatever but then like she got the money so the one dancer could have her procedure done and then you know he sees that baby isn't just like, all talk, and as they start to fall for each other is when, you know, he has to kind of rethink this lifestyle that he's had in this way of thinking that he has about people with money and all that stuff, and so it kind of switches because, you know, Baby's family want her to be the resort manager's nephew's girlfriend instead so they can continue to get perks, but this dude calls himself the catch of the county, and it makes- I don't know how she didn't jump into the lake when he said that because I absolutely would have. And so it just, you know, he's like Patrick Swayze's character is like, hey, no, she's mine.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of snobbery in this movie, um, which is, I I feel like you can really only tolerate so much. um, And Patrick Swayze's character has to deal with a lot of that. Like when he's not dancing, it's like internal country club politics yeah because there's a lot about this movie where johnny is like i need to finish this job so i can be lined up for next summer i need to make sure i have my bonus so i can make it through the rest of the year and that's all well and good and all but it wasn't quite the angle i was looking for um if that makes sense
0: like so sorry i'm trying to put my words together so you were you were kind of like hung up on him kind of using the excuse that he had to, you know, keep the gigs lined up for himself as a reason to not proceed with the relationship.
1: I think I just didn't like how the second half of this movie was hiding the relationship. Or let me rephrase that. I think this I think this movie didn't fully double down on the threat of what would happen if the relationship was found out because the second half of this movie is them being in a relationship and them having to hide it from the rest of the staff but there's only like two scenes two sequences even where they have to like hide from people so they don't find out so Johnny talks a lot about how no one can about how no one can find out no one can know but no one's in danger of finding out about it until, you know, there's one scene where they're walking up a hill and they have to hide behind some bushes. And then there's the scene where he, where Johnny beats up the owner's nephew. And then he walks away being like, I chose the wrong sister or whatever. Oh, no, and he so, didn't,
0: he didn't beat up the, that wasn't the nephew. That was just one of the waiters.
1: Okay. 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 Um, regardless. I feel like the threat of them being found out was not very present. Obviously, the aftermath of what could happen if they were found out, the movie made sure we knew that very well. But I felt like they weren't in danger of being found out except for one or two circumstances until they actually do.
0: And I feel like when they did get found out and like when he was kicked out, they were a little, a little too calm about it. Almost like they were just like, they were not going to regret this, but, you know, see you around. I was like, okay.
1: And not only did (laughs) were they calm about when they found out, Baby could have done a more discreet job of letting them know. Because she announces, the reason Johnny let's get, let's gets let go is because he was in trouble because they thought he had stolen someone's wallet. And in order to clear his name from the theft, Baby told the owner it wasn't Johnny because Johnny was in his room all night. And I know that because I was with him all night. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, hey, baby, you're doing the great thing. You did not have to announce this in front of your family. <laughs> you could have pulled him aside to do this. This did not need to be an everyone conversation.
0: Hey, I think she was like, you know what? If I tell him, it's going to get back to them anyway. So I'm just going to kill two birds with one stone and rip this band aid right off.
1: Yeah. And so then Johnny does get fired for having relations with one of the guests, which fair, but... <laughs> <laughs> rules are rules. I mean... They were almost at the end of the vacation anyway. Like, they could have just made it three more days if she had been a little more discreet about it. But that's neither here nor there. Um, And so the finale of this movie is... Iconic. Iconic, yes. So Johnny has been fired, but he... For all the years he has worked there, he has always led the final performance of the resort's, like, final showcase. And, you know, now he's not able to do it. But the finale is him crashing the event, just barging up on stage, being like, I'm going to do it anyway. And And then they dance. Then they do the dance. And throughout the whole movie, when Johnny is teaching Baby the dance routine, you know... He's like, hey, here's how you do a lift. This is how you do a lift safely. You got to put your trust in me. Either I'm going to get hurt. And But when she needs to perform the lift during the performance halfway through the movie, she just chickens out and doesn't do it. And so the end of this movie is her doing the lift with Johnny. And it's very iconic. The music is like Perfect. It, it's the it, it is the quintessential 30 seconds of this movie but you know you need the last 90 minutes in order to make it emotionally worth it
0: yeah for sure but it's cute uh, and this it's is also fun.
1: where you get the iconic line nobody puts baby in a corner <laughs> which is one of those lines that i don't know how it became iconic because that specific phrase was never brought up any time before in the movie it's not like it was a callback or anything like it's not like the entire time baby's like i feel like i'm being put in a corner everyone puts me in a corner i don't want to be put in a corner anymore you know she doesn't do that it's just patrick swayze walks up and gives the most half-assed line delivery of nobody puts baby in a corner and walks away like this is iconic like like the phrase yes iconic delivery Three out of ten. Well, no. Could have been a little better.
0: Because you have to think it's like he's constantly telling her that he admires her bravery and that like you know she's you know is never afraid to do what's right is never afraid to stand up for people even if they're you know not what not what people think should be stood up for but then you know at the end she tried her hardest to be like hey like this isn't true like yada 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 and they still fired him so then he's back after they've like cleared his name and he's like Yeah, nobody puts Baby in the corner. Nobody, you know, denies her of what she wants and, you know, that she doesn't know what's right kind of a deal. So he's like, nobody puts Baby in the corner. The show's going on. Let's go.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I this movie is really cute. It's good and fun. So, like, seven and a quarter. Seven and a half, maybe, even. It's uh eight for me. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those, it's cheesy, it's cute, it's fun, um and it's a chick flick and so chick flicks are a uh, coin flip for me sometimes they resonate sometimes they don't but this this one did I like this I like I genuinely like this one a lot more than I thought I was going to and now we're gonna move on to my dad's favorite movie quote-unquote which is Casino Royale again I kind of had to wrestle him for a for a specific (laughs) favorite movie title and at the end of the day he didn't give me one he said he just said i like those bond movies and this one is the most accessible so we're watching casino royale this movie is very good but it's also three separate movies
0: (laughs) yes it's like three separate movies and it could have ended at like five different times
1: yeah. So, and James Bond movies always have this problem, which is normally when there's a high action sequence, I I understand the stakes of the moment, but I don't fully understand the grand stakes. Like there's a scene where he has to stop a bomb going off uh, on an airport runway. And I'm like, I understand that he's trying to stop a bomb. And if a bomb goes off, people die but I don't understand why he's planting the bomb in the first place. And that is a consistent theme through at least all of Daniel Craig's Bond movies. And yeah. this movie is no exception.
0: <laughs> We're as lost as every other character that's not Bond.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the the plot of this movie, it, it, when you get down to what it actually wants to be, it makes sense. You know, Mads Mikkelsen, is playing this character named Lashif, and he is a banker for international terrorists. He holds on to other people's money, but he made a series of bad investments using other people's money, and if he doesn't get that money back soon, he will die, and so he is holding this high-stakes poker game with high stake criminals so he can make that money back and so the movie is James Bond infiltrating this card game so he can win the money and essentially bankrupt Le and taking him off the terrorist market now it takes an hour for us to get to that point in the movie
0: (laughs) and there's like eight other storylines that go along with that
1: and don't get me wrong Here's why. Because once they are in the Casino Royale, not a lot of action happens. There's like one fist fight. So the movie understood, hey, if we want some James Bond style action, we have to do it before the casino part. So the movie basically, they have this like hour long action fest so they can justify not having as much action in the second half.
0: I will say that I saw some of those fights. And I was like, yeah, I could do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there are some parts where I'm like, oh, I would have died seven times by the time you yes. reach this point.
0: And I'm like, like dude, how, how are you guys alive? Falling down staircases and from one floor to the next. And you just get right back up.
1: Anytime James Bond jumps on top of a moving vehicle, I'm like, oh, I would have died there. Yep. I would have fallen off and died. But good for him, I guess. Good job. Um, This is Daniel Craig's first James Bond movie. And as far as soft reboots go, it could have been a little more clear. (laughs) Like, you would think new actor, good time to jump into the franchise. This movie does not exactly establish its lore very well. No, it's very poorly done. So there's this, the opening scene of this movie is this black and white, very, like, 40s detective noir type uh, scene where James Bond spins around in a swivel chair and shoots a guy. Gun to my head. Couldn't tell you what that was about. Couldn't tell you. No. Um, And then we jump cut to, what is it, Madagascar? And And then they're in this, like, viper fighting pit, and then shots go off, and now James Bond is chasing a dude. And again, we are back into the scenario of, I understand that James Bond needs to catch this guy. Don't know why, but I understand he needs to catch this guy. And then after he catches him, that's when they're, That's when uh, M, put Judy Dench's character, is like, hey, you needed to bring him in alive, which he didn't, because he, we needed his information. He had uh, this piece of information that we really needed, and you killed him, and I'm scolding you for it. But they eventually get the information that that informant had, which leads us to Le and gets us back on track for the rest of this movie. So I think that this movie doesn't have a complicated plot. It just goes out of its way to tell it in the most asynchronous way possible while still being completely linear in time.
0: I, as much as I love Daniel Craig... Mads Mikkelsen, and Judy Dench, right? As much as I love them, and I appreciate- What about Eva Green? And Eva Green. As much as I appreciate them and their art, I think this being the first Bond movie I ever saw is what made me not the biggest
1: Bond fan. Have you seen this movie before? Yes, a couple times. Okay, as have I, as have I. And by the time they get to the poker scenes, right- I find poker very interesting. I I really do like the sport behind it. So... When they started doing that, I found that very interesting and I was very engaged. Yes. What I didn't love was that character whose, I'm going to say, sole purpose was to lean over to Eva Green and whisper the (laughs) rules of poker as it was happening.
0: Hey, it had to be inclusive for the guys who brought their girlfriends who probably didn't know anything about poker.
1: Yes. And so (laughs) it's just the middle of a scene, they're holding cards and he leaves. Over and he goes. That's Leshieff's tell. He's bluffing. That's a two pair. Bond has the winning hand right now. Bond's gonna have to go all in in order to match that call. Like it's that's the entire purpose of his character. <laughs>
0: and it's like okay, we know we can piece that together ourselves.
1: Daniel Craig is a good enough actor to show his micro expressions on whether or not he's going to win or lose.
0: Yeah, it's. <laughs> It was a little um, rough.
1: The torture scene between Mads Mikkelsen and Daniel Craig, <laughs> I, that that is the iconic part from this movie. Yes. There's a lot of good stuff from this movie, but that scene in particular is probably the best single scene from this movie because it, it's just both of them acting their pants off. Daniel Craig, literally. <laughs> so... I think that that scene is really cool there's lots of really high stakes moments in this movie and the movie does a really good job at showing you that without making you feel stupid except for when they're explaining poker terms
0: yes it's just it kind of like like I was into the action at the beginning and then it kind of lulled and then we finally got to the poker and I was interested again and then I was like okay it could have ended like 20 minutes ago and there are still like 20 minutes left.
1: Yes. I kind of wish that we had gotten more of Jeffrey Wright's character. Um, and Jeffrey Wright played the CIA agent yes. in this movie. Um, he also played Jim Gordon in the most recent Batman movie. And so he, I really think he had like the potential to be more involved in the casino scenes and he's not. Yeah. I think that he could have replaced the uh, the dude that I've been complaining about this whole time. Oh for sure. Like like they could have just given him they could have given Jeffrey Wright all of those guys lines and it would have been fine. Um the only problem is I've seen the rest of the Daniel Craig movies and um the I don't even remember the character's name which if I was responsible I'd look it up, but he's in the re- he, he's at least in Co- in Quantum of Solace. So mm. he's in one more Bond movie. But I'm just saying maybe Jeffrey Wright could have been in a few more Bond movies. That's all I'm saying. Right. Justice for Justice for Jeffrey Wright. Justice
0: for Jeffrey Wright.
1: Um, Eva Green in this movie is so good I love her She's so good in this movie um, She does a really good job at playing kind of like She, for in a movie where James Bond is very serious She somehow is James Bond's straight man Yeah And she does a very good job at doing that
0: I agree, I agree
1: And so, I don't know how I feel about it in general So let's talk about the end of the movie, alright? So after they beat Le right, they conquer the the goal. Um, The third act of this movie is Daniel Craig or, you know, James Bond falling in love with Vesper, who is Eva Green's character, Mm -hmm. and them kind of running away together. He leaves the double O life behind and him and Vesper are like making plans to kind of just go wayward for a little while. But Vesper stole the money that Bond won during the casino game and gave it to um, an organization that was holding her boyfriend hostage. And so it was kind of weird because it didn't feel like a true betrayal, but it was enough of a betrayal for me to write her off as a character. Yeah. So I was kind of in this like weird neutral ground of like, I kind of sympathize but not enough to have me forgive you. So I'm angry at you, but I still wish that your character hadn't died.
0: Yeah, to so where it's like, you played enough of a good character for me to be like, aw, Bond deserved better. He deserved to be happy with you, but also, how dare you?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of a bummer. And it's the... the- Bummer about it all is the fact that, like you said, it adds another 20 minutes to this movie. Yeah. And so it adds another 20 minutes to this movie after it feels like it had already completed.
0: It, like, they included, like, what should have been the opening sequence for the next movie at the end of this one.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It, it's an epilogue. And (laughs) epilogues don't always work in movies. And I I don't know if it worked in this one. I don't think it did. I don't think it did either. Because it was cool to get another action sequence at the end. But, like, at what cost? runtime that was the cost.
0: <laughs> exactly so uh yeah like i said I uh, still didn't like this one as much i've seen a couple of the other bond films now and i like them more than i like this one but kind of like what you were saying when the last bond film came out after a while they just feel like bond films
1: yeah so it's really interesting that you say that because my take is Casino Royale is the force awakens of James Bond, right? You know, watch this one first because this is what you're in for when it comes to James Bond. After you watch this one, watch whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Right. But start with this one so you can understand if you like the tone of it or what it's got to say.
0: Exactly, for sure. I support that. So, what are you, what are we rating Lloyd's possible favorite?
1: Listen, we've been talking about a lot of the faults of this movie. I think this movie rips. Um, so I'm giving it a seven and a half. Still, it's still good. I like it a lot.
0: I'm gonna give it a six and a half. Not really my vibe, but not bad.
1: Hey, for sure. Uh, Matt, I I respect that. I respect that rating a lot.
0: Well. This has been, you know, our parents' favorites where we loved our mother's movies and ragged on our father's.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, also, this episode celebrates a full year of doing Small and Tall, which Woo-hoo! I think is very cool and fun. And I'm, uh, I'm proud of the work we do here. Uh, I wanted to acknowledge that because I had forgotten to at the top of the episode. Hey, um, go us. Go us. Again, it's baffling to me because there are so many podcasts, especially people that I know that have started podcasts that do three episodes and fizzle out, and I am very proud that I've managed to somehow get my name attached to two separate podcasts that have been going for now over a year and not miss an upload on either of them. That's pretty rad.
0: Hell yeah, go you! Look at you go!
1: Um, but of course, I've had a lot of help along the way. Um, sometimes they carry the show and be <laughs> and are funnier than I am. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is uh, next month is this is kind of a Craig built theme. <laughs> um, I'm excited. This is actually for it. this is entirely a, a, a Craig built theme. So. Everyone knows, you know, DC and Marvel is kind of like the big two comic publishers. There's another comic book publisher called Dark Horse Comics. And uh, those comics are the base for a lot of really good movies. And so we are going to be diving into four Dark Horse comic book movies. And those four are going to be 300, Hellboy, The Mask, and Sin City. And these are two movies... I've been meaning to see, and two movies I'm excited to rewatch. So that's what we're going to be up to next month. I'm Bug, and I'm Small. And I'm Craig, and I'm Tall.
0: This has been Small and Tall's Parents' Favorites Movies. (laughs) That was a mouthful.
1: Small small and Tall's Parents' Favorites Movies.
0: (laughs) Yep, that's what it was. And next month, we'll see you for Dark Horse Comics.
1: Have fun, be safe, and make good choices.
0: Mwah.